Hello, welcome to James's pre-fight, post-fight MMA show, where we recap all the important things happening in the sport of MMA, and I, your host James, try to explain to you what's going on in the sport and make it as easy as one, two, three for you to understand. We hope you enjoy the show. I am the Batman now. No superpowers. Spend my hours on the computer. I am the Batman now. Hello, everyone. This has been a little while since I did one of these um these wonderful talks that you and I have where. You know, we have these intricate conversations of, uh, you know, people half-dressed beating each other up in a cage. Or we discuss things like, uh, you know, comic books where men and women are fighting in spandex over gems. And I'm glad to be back. It's been a little while. Hope you're doing well. And uh hope you're excited and I hope you're prepared for an excellent conversation on what is going on in MMA, and specifically the fights this weekend. This card is crazy good. Yeah, I would say it's amazing. I'm aware that uh, originally this card was supposed to do Izzy versus Costa, Israel Adesanya, the middleweight champion, versus Paul Costa, the uh, middleweight contender. It was big goal. Yeah, I'll show how. When we get into him, you know... I'll explain more about him. He's like this big, thick Brazilian guy. Uh, they're fighting for the middleweight title. That was the fight that was originally supposed to happen uh, for the Saturday. But, however, in my um, opinion, I believe we get a better main event in uh, Colby Covington, the former interim champion, versus his rival, Tyrone Woodley, the former undisputed UFC champion. An amazing fight. An amazing card in general. I actually had to sit down a little bit, put my thinking cap on, put on my uh, my thinking socks, and uh, really dive into this card because I didn't realize that this card is so stacked. It's unbelievably stacked. Uh, so many good fighters, and I really do think um, a lot of these fights are meant to be exciting or meant to have finishes. Uh, one of the two. Tomato, tomato, you know. So, uh, this fight where we should know this fight card where we should know about it is going to take place in Las Vegas, Nevada. Is going to have the smaller octagon. Uh, you know, if you're not a hardcore fan of MMA, saying like you don't you don't watch it at all, which I definitely recommend. Even if you don't like MMA that much, even if you, or maybe you, you want to get into it or whatever, or maybe you just listen to this podcast from my soothing voice. Um. I recommend watching this card. It has prospects, veterans, um, guys who are in there fighting in their prime right now. Number one contender fights. All that delicious stuff. Um, so yeah. So let's dive into the first fight in the strawweight division. First fight, which I feel is the, you know, the first appetizer to what we're going to be in store for on Saturday. Uh, Mackenzie Dern versus Random Marcos. Um, excellent fight. Mackenzie Dern, so as I said, 115 pounds. Mackenzie Dern is 27 years old. 
She's eight and one. Her one loss coming from let me see, coming from Amanda Hebas. She um she's originally she was born out of Arizona, but she does reside in Brazil. Uh she trains at Rufka. If you don't know what Rufka is, go to a strip mall in California or New Jersey and you'll see that they have a Rufka store. And uh, Rufka basically, that brand store, the guy who created the brand, opened up a uh, gym. You know, he has a skateboarding, um, you know, he has a couple ramps he owns. He has like a place for musicians to play in. And then he has an MMA gym that was originally built for, for BJ Penn and his coach Jason Perillo. Obviously, BJ doesn't fight as much, so you won't see him that much, but... Rufka has a lot of great fighters like Rafael Los Angeles trains there, Luke Rockhold, they say trains there, Dominic Cruz is trained there, TJ Dillashaw is trained there, Michael Bisping trains there, and uh, Mackenzie Dern is a new uh, a new addition to their team. Originally, she trained at the MMA lab, and that, that seemed like a gym that was a great fit for her, but um, yeah, I know there were some conflicts over there that they were concerned that she was going back and forth between her home and Arizona and all that stuff. So now she trains at Rufka. Uh, great gym. They emphasize a lot of boxing. They have uh, great drills. Like I watched um, Jason Perillo, the head coach there. He does a great job of building his fighters the sense of how to throw combinations, how to move their head, things like that. And also, he's just a really good f- coach for building confidence, right? Like like some fighters like Michael Bisping. Like I remember, if you don't know, but UFC middleweight champion Michael Bisping, when... He became the champion fighting Luke Rockhold, who beated him before. Who Luke Rockhold beat Michael Bisping before, and Bisping said that he was nervous coming in a short notice. You know the opponent that Luke Rockhold is originally supposed to face pulled out, and Bisping had two weeks to do it against the guy he's lost to. And he said, you know, his coach Perillo really got into his uh, brain and uh, wired him to be a freaking beast, and that's what happened. And Michael won. So, you know, he's a great coach. He's with a great team. She has a 63-inch reach. Um, Randa Marcos is 35 years old. If you don't know, she came from the Strawweight Ultimate Fighter show. Basically, the show back in 20... I believe 2015, it opened up. She um, they had uh, 16 girls, I believe. And they uh, had tournament style. They were stuck in the Ultimate Fighter house. Which basically means for three months they stay in the same house and they fight multiple times to see who will become the winner. But that year, if you were the winner, you won the title. She competed that year. Um, she didn't win the title. Obviously, she's not a former champion. But that's something to point out due to experience. She's 10 and 9. 10 wins and 9 losses. Uh, and she has a 63.5 inch reach advantage. Um... Things to know about this fight in terms of skills. Uh, Mackenzie Dern, her father, is an extremely, like, one of the top-notch jiu-jitsu black belts and jiu-jitsu players. Um, Dern herself is just a very experienced jiu-jitsu player. Um, A lot of people know her from her ADCC days. Meaning, yeah, all you got to know about ADCC is, like, the best of the best grapple at ADCC. Um, you know, like guys like Gordon Ryan, Gary Tonin. You guys don't need to know those people, but you know, just to throw out there, kind of like a little like Marvel cameo. You know, if you're, you're into that stuff, hopefully you like it. Um, 
but during she was known for um competing cons uh she was before she got into MMA she competed in those um types of events submission grappling events and then uh she became at one point the number one ranked uh IBJJF competitor in the world female competitor which is pretty big um once again if you don't know what that means don't worry that just means she's really really good on the ground that's all you got to know and then uh her father is um Wellington Diaz I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but she uh, received her black belt from him. So, you know, she's grown up with martial arts, things like that. Growing up with jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu is her DNA. And uh, her striking is getting better and better. She's a little stiff on the feet, personally. She has a good chin. Like, she has, um, she's very durable. She can take a shot very well. Um, she, you know, she's fought girls with uh, somewhat amount of power and taking their shots. So we know she's tough. I know a lot of people have been criticizing her, like that, like oh, she was originally born in Arizona, and then obviously her father's Portuguese, her mother's Portuguese, and she grew up with like this Portuguese accent. And also when she got into the UFC, everybody's like, "Wow, she sounds like an American." Like you can't tell. The, I, in my opinion, that has a little bit to do with um. Uh, oh, like, people just don't like it. Like, some people I know are betting against her because of those reasons. It's a little strange, in my opinion. Um, so, and, and mainly all her fights are, she wins via submission. She has knocked down a girl, Amanda Cooper, in the past, and then she got a submission. And that's all you gotta know. Basically, she's tough, she's durable, her striking's a little stiff, but it's getting there. You know, it's um somewhat serviceable. She has good takedowns, which is a big thing, right? Like, uh, you know, if an MMA fighter doesn't want to go to the ground, you know, they're going to stop you. They're not going to just let you do it. So she has very creative ways of getting it to the ground. And then what you got to know about Randa Markle, she, uh, she's from Canada. She, she trains at TriStar. So, you know, she has some good skills, good boxing, pretty good kicks. Her jiu-jitsu herself is very good for MMA. And that's going to bring a point um, to the fight I want to discuss. She relies a lot on her jiu-jitsu, meaning, you know, if um, she's losing the fight, she could take the girl down, use her top game. And she has a very good top game. With wrestlers who take her down, you know, if she can't stop the takedown, she's very good at reversing the position and such. However, the thing I want to note about is that against Dern, she's not going to have that. She's not going to have... The confidence to go down on the ground with her because she's just so much better. And if, and if, she, uh, if Marcos, which I'm sure she is, if she doesn't respect the jujitsu of Dern, that it's just so much better, she's gonna get tapped out. And also, Marcos, she doesn't really have the striking to, in my opinion, really sting Dern. I do think that her stance, the way she stands, very low, uh, she's very good straight punches. I do think that could help. However, I don't think that um, she's super, super tactical, meaning like she try to she'll throw the jab, throw the jab. She'll knows every time turns ducking under the jab and then throw a uppercut or something. Um, you know, Marcos would kind of just keep throwing something because of scoring, things like that. And really, her jiu-jitsu is kind of like, um, even though she doesn't talk about it, I believe it's kind of underrated in MMA. She uses it, you know, um, it's kind of like her safety net, right? She's losing, she'll use it. But in this fight, I don't think she's going to have it. So that's why I'm going to pick Mackenzie Dern to win via submission. Um, I think 
It's going to be hard for her to get it to the ground in the beginning. I think Duran's going to take a couple shots. It's not going to be anything too devastating. I do think she's going to... Um, her durability is going to be needed a little bit. And then I think in the second round, she's going to start striking a little bit more with Marcos. Marcos is going to feel more confident. And then Duran's going to take her down. And I think um, she's probably going to finish her by submission. In the second round, I believe. But I do think it's going to be a competitive fight. I know that uh, looking at these odds, Mackenzie Dern's a minus 188. Random Marcos is a plus 162. I do think there's some value on Marcos. But um, yeah, I'm not the most confident. There's, there's definitely uh, more um, more people on this fight card I would uh, pick as an underdog. More people to spend my McDonald's money on, a.k.a. So that's my pick. Mackenzie Dern via submission round two. Next one, an extremely, extremely intriguing fight. If you're not into like the whole, oh, like the guys and like MMA, like they wrestle, or there's all these strategies to win points and things like that. This is the fight to watch. Johnny Walker versus Ryan Spann. Johnny Walker is 28 years old, 6'5", so very tall, with an 82-inch reach. And um, he... You know, he has a couple fights in the UFC. I believe he came from the Dana White Contender Series. He signed on in the um, beginning of 2018, I believe. So he's been in the UFC for two years now. He's had uh, four to five fights. Ryan Spann, very similar, uh, has had four to five. I believe he's had four fights. 27 years old. Ryan Spann is 27 years old, excuse me. Johnny Walker's 28, so Ryan Spann will be one year younger. Span is has a is six four. He'll be having a seventy nine inch reach. Uh, one thing to note: Ryan Span trains at Forest MMA. He's kind of been known for training there for a long time. And Johnny Walker, uh, you know he's moved around a lot. Uh, beginning of his career, he trained a lot in um, his home of Brazil. Uh, you know, understandable. He trained near his home, I believe, before the UFC. They said he used to be a stripper. So. You know, his walkouts are always hilarious. You know, he's striptease and kind of... Um, when I, I remember when he fought Corey Anderson, he came out to, like, the New York song from Frank Sinatra in a remix. Very funny guy. Uh, but, you know, he's been switching a lot of camps, and that kind of worries me. He trained at TriStar's last camp, and then um, due to the borders, he couldn't go to Canada. He was training at SPG, you know, the gym that Conor McGregor trains at. So two things you got to know about these guys. Um, Ryan Spann, he could knock you out going backwards and forward. Very creative combinations. You know, he'll throw uppercuts if he feels like you're covering up top. Very good shot selection. Um, Johnny Walker likes to throw a lot of fakes and feints. So if you watch his fights, a lot of it is him just like kind of like shaking, like um, shaking and jiving. That's what a lot of people like Daniel Cormier likes to say. Well, he'll like shoulder, he'll twitch shoulder a little bit, make you think he's punching. He'll lift up his leg to make you think he's kicking. Basically, that's a part of his stance. It's just, he's just constantly doing that. And then he makes you feel nervous, makes you feel like, oh my God, I have to hit him eventually, right? And then as you commit to a punch, and that's when he uh, strikes, right? He forces you to take a bad punch. Everybody knows he's a super powerful guy. Walker, let me check his record, actually. Johnny Walker, I know he has a lot of knockouts. Let's see how many knockouts does Walker have. 
Yes, he has 14 knockouts. So, basically, everybody knows, try to stay safe. Let him come to you because the guy um, is super powerful. You don't want to... You don't want to give him the advantage by uh, doing the first step and letting him analyze you. So a lot of people say, oh, let me wait for him. So he does a lot of those fakes and then pressures you to throw a strike. And then some fighters will, like, for example, Misha Serkinov who fought Johnny Walker. You know, Walker's faking, fainting, and then Serkinov's like, oh, I got to throw something, you know. He's kind of bullying me with these fakes. And then uh, Serkinov ducks his head and then um, Walker hits him with a flying knee. Uh, things like that, you know. He makes you make mistakes with these fakes, right? He pressures you into thinking he's throwing something, but he's not. Um, that's mainly his game. You know, he throws a lot of spins, um, a lot of uh, you know, flying knees, head kicks, things like that. Very creative. And then um, Ryan Spann likes to keep it nice and simple. Throws a lot of boxing combinations, can knock you out going forwards or backwards. Um, one thing to know about Johnny Walker, though, is that he's probably a tad bit more experienced than Ryan Spann. Like, uh, Johnny Walker's fought people like Misha, I mean, uh, Nikita Krylov and Corey Anderson. The thing to note is that the Corey Anderson fight, uh, basically he was doing all those fakes and feints, and then Corey Anderson just went, boom, straight right down the middle. Walker was hurt very badly, and then, you know, uh, Anderson ended up knocking him out. Uh, TKOing him, excuse me, technical knockout. And the second fight, when Nikita Krylov, basically Walker was getting grinded, um, getting taken down, getting tired, things like that. So, you know, there's two ways to beat Walker. But Span is not known for using any particular fantastic wrestling or takedown game. So I'm expecting this fight to be a uh, slugfest. Two guys striking with each other. And, um... I know, I understand that uh, the UFC is kind of giving this matchup because Span is has less experience or the same amount of experience as Johnny Walker. So Johnny Walker is not going to be fighting some kind of veteran like Corey Anderson. And is not a wrestler, so Walker is going to have somebody to stand up with. And it's somebody who's a little bit uh, sort of like him, but the physical attributes aren't there. He doesn't have the diversity. So I think that's why the UFC is giving him this matchup to kind of collect himself a little bit. However... I look at the John and I, I love Corey Anderson. I think Corey Anderson's amazing. And I think Corey explored this in Johnny Walker. He kind of revealed it to people. But Walker, if you look at his fighting style, he'll do a lot of them. When he gets close to people, he'll grab their hands or he'll try to grab their hands. And if you could just fake your hands and he'll try to follow your hands, you could go over the top and hit him with the right. And a lot of and Corey Anderson even said it in after his fight, he goes yeah, a lot of people are picking Johnny Walker to beat me. That, oh, the only way I could beat him is by taking him down. And, of course, he says, let's not act like there's footage on him getting hit by the right hand. Very similar to how I did it. So, you know, Corey, I believe, showed that. And then the Johnny Walker fights, like, that fight and then the Krylov fight, he gets hurt. And then, basically, there was no way for him to get back in the fight. So, you know, I got to question his durability, right? Like, um... He seems like he'll have a hard time coming back into fights. And this is a fight that's a firefight, right, against Ryan Spann. Spann has shown, like, you know, he fought guys like uh, the Little Knock, Rugino Nogueira. We covered him before. And Little Knock cracked. And uh, Little Knock 
Hit Span. Span's going backwards. Long thinks he's hurt. And then, bam, Span hits him with a right, beautiful right hand while going backwards. So, you know, Span shows he could fire under pressure. So that's something I think Walker's got to look out for. However, one thing Walker has really going for him is that he's very fake heavy, like I said before. And I think he's going to throw a lot of fakes. And I think he's going to try to get Span to commit. For me, if I was Ryan Span's corner, I would tell him, fight behind the jab if you're all the way out. And if you're, I want you to get really close to him because, um, you know, Johnny Walker, he has a good clinch elbows, but from boxing range, he's very limited. Doesn't move his head a lot. Most of the time in his fights to get out of the way of things, he relies on his feet. Um, so, you know, you got him up close, he can't move as much anymore. So I think that, would, and I think Span's going to do that. I do think, um, Ryan Span... Hmm. So, I do think Johnny Walker has the advantage, unlike his other fights where the guys were more like wrestlers slash grapplers. I do think this is a better matchup for him. Hmm. I try not to make these picks ahead of time, folks, as you can tell. Uh, I think Johnny Walker gets the win. I think he gets the win via KO in the first round. I think he wins with something spectacular. I think he fakes heavy. Um, and then Span bites on it, and then he hits him with something spectacular, like a head kick or a big punch or a flying knee or something. And I think, uh, I'll, and then I'll, I'll even go further in my prediction besides predicting who wins. I think after that, Johnny Walker, everybody will be like, oh, he's back, he's back. However, he, this fight, he doesn't struggle, you know, he wins in the first round, so we can't even tell if he's made any improvements. Um, that's my prediction. But Span definitely has a way to win. I definitely think he's an underdog who should be considered plus 110. I think Ryan Span via KO first round is some um, underdog money. So I would look at that. Definitely considering Ryan Span the underdog. The next one, excuse me if I butcher the name, has Kazmat Chemayev. Versus Gerald Mishar. And this fight has a lot of storylines going into it. Uh, Kazmat Chemaev, excuse me. He's um, 8-0, so he's won every single one of his fights that he's entered in. He's um, 26 years old, 6-2. Uh, this, fight's having a, this fight is taking place at 185 pounds. And, uh, but he usually fights at 170 pounds. And he trains out of um, All Star MMA, which is where fighters like Alexander Gustafsson trains at in Sweden. Uh, I believe that uh, Chemayev, they said he grew up in Dagestan, Russia, very similar to the UFC lightweight champion and Habib Nurmagomedov. And then he also, um, then he moved there to Sweden, I believe around 2011. And his game, in my opinion, is slightly more well rounded than Habib. I know that's a lot to say considering that his two fights were both finishes in the UFC. And he only has eight fights. So even in general, he doesn't have a lot of fights. He has four submissions and four KOs. So that means he always finishes the fight. But the way he strikes, the way he stands, um, the ground and pound, it's a little bit different than Habib, in my opinion. Uh, I know he does similar things like he'll, um, you know, for example, right, when you're trying to get up, like try to sit on the floor right now. And when you're trying to get up, you usually need your arm to get up, right? You're pushing the floor with your arm and it's propping you to, to stand up. Um, Habib, and I'm sure we'll get to this one. Habib fights Gigi. 
Or, um, and then, you know, a lot of fighters will get, I'm pretty sure the main event, I'll be breaking this down as well again. But Chemayev, he'll, you'll, right, like you're trying to get up using your arm, he'll pull your wrist behind your back. So basically, think of your arm as like a pillar for a building, right? Trying to build back up, he basically takes that pillar out and it gives him more time to punch you. And that's the beautiful thing about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It teaches you how to deal with problems solely. So, you know, most people who are untrained, they'll just say, you just gotta get up. But you can't get up when your wrist is behind your back. Like, try to. Try to put your wrist on your back and then try to get up. So you gotta think, what's my first step? Gotta get back my wrist. So you gotta fight back the wrist. What's the next step? You gotta fight his legs off. What's the next step? Try to build your way back up. And then, that you stood up. So, uh, but... During all that, Chamayev is punching you in the face. Same thing with Habib and other um, very good MMA ground-the-pound fighters. And um, the and his opponent, Gerald Michar, is 31 and 13. So 31 wins, 13 losses. Um, he's 32 years old. He's 6'1", has a 77.5-inch reach. That's something I want to take note of is Michar has a 2-inch reach advantage over Chamayev. And then um, Mishar, one thing, two things to know, he's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He has, I believe, the most submissions in UFC middleweight history, which is pretty big since middleweight's filled with guys like Chakare Souza, Chris Weidman, Luke Rockhold, and then plus you got things like Damian Maia competed in there, things like that. And then uh, he trains at Rufus Sport MMA in Milwaukee. Those guys are very good. You know, people like Anthony Pettis trains there, Tyron Woolley trains there. The GOAT CM Punk trains there. That's sarcasm. CM Punk's not very good. He's 0-2. And he's never fought before. Um, So, you know, those guys, nonetheless, very good. They emphasize a lot of um, kickboxing and Muay Thai with, like, Taekwondo techniques. So they have very good fundamentals and very good body kicks and leg kicks. And then they'll mix it up with, like, spinning strikes, things like that. And Coach Duke is um, excellent to watch in terms of he helps you learn striking. He teaches you what makes a good striker. Things like that. So, um, Gerald trains there a lot. Uh, that's his main um, training camp. His main gym, you could say, that he goes to. Let me see how many submissions Gerald Mishar has. ESPN, work with me, work with me, work with me in ESPN, work with me, I just know that he has a lot of submissions, that's all I know, so Gerald has 23 wins via submission and 6 knockouts, so one one thing to know before we get into the physical part of this fight is uh, Hasmat Chemayev, he's been booked 2 fights. And I believe they did that because back on Fight Island, he fought once on July 15, and then he literally fought the next fight night. And um, he says because he likes to keep active, and basically, he his two fights combined, he landed 192 strikes on both fighters that he fought, and he received two strikes. So, you know, if you're receiving like two strikes every, like for every two fights. Then why not book the guy? That's why I believe they're thinking. I don't believe in the same thing. But that's what I think the UFC is thinking. 
and uh, we sh- uh, one of the rare opp- rare occasions, uh, Shemayev is booked for Mishra, obviously this time, and then he's gonna be, he's booked for, to fight Damian Maya later. So when you ever hear that, like, oh, a guy's booked to fight somebody else after this fight immediately, like, you never know what's gonna happen. What if you get knocked out or you have an injury or something? So that's a lot to talk about going into this fight because Damian Maya, even though you guys may not know him, he's a way bigger name than um, than uh, Ger- Gerald Mishar. So, you know, maybe Shemayev is thinking, oh, I just want to get through this fight and fight Maya. But Mishar has pretty good skills, very good submission game, very good sweeps, good kicks. So, in my opinion, though, the... I'm going to pick Chemayev to win. I just believe that Gerald Mishar, if you look at his fights against people like Trevor Giles and um, some other fighters who, in my opinion, don't have nearly as good or even the pedigree of um, um, Chemayev, he lets people get on top. You go for the takedown, he'll let you get the takedown. Oh, you're passing his guard, he'll let you pass the guard. You want, he'll give you his back, then you take his back, then he'll find a way to sweep. He has this very passive attitude towards fighting. And even when he, like, in his striking, he does the same thing, right? He'll be fighting fighters like Daron Wynn, who's way shorter, or Ian Heinrich, who fights a lot shorter. And, you know, he'll be relaxed, relaxed, you know, throwing out a couple strikes very slowly. And then all of a sudden, bang, he gets hit. And then there's a big shot, and he gets rocked. And he just has very little sense of urgency. And Chemayev, if he gets takes Mishar down, he's going to be like a dog on a bone. He's not fighting to get position to submit Mishar. He's doing it to beat him up, to control him. Right? Mishar, his whole sense of, oh, I'm just going to let the guy control the fight, is that he could uh, surprise you from any position. And, you know, he's shown that, right? He, he's been in fights where Eric Spicely got him down, took his back, and then second round, Mishar ended up knocking him out with a body kick. So that can happen in this fight. But the passive attitude's not going to get him anywhere. And I do think that this double booking thing with Shamaya fighting Maya after Mishar is a benefit to Mishar because Mishar is going to have to, um, you know, I, I believe he has the stamina and I believe he has the experience to beat Shamayev. And I do think he has the skills, right? He has the submission game. If Chemayev takes him down, boom, Mishar can start throwing up submissions or get work his way back up. He has the size, right? This is a fight that's going to happen at middleweight. Chemayev usually fights at 170. And Mishar has fought, was willing to fight at 205. He's fight, he usually fights at 185. So, um, you know, Chemayev, you got to look at that. However, like, that's what I say about the wrestlers. The wrestlers who can grind it out and have great cardio, they can really go far. Because when you give them that little space, oh, you let them take you down once. You let him move forward a little bit. You let him dictate the pace. They When, when you give them an inch, they're going to take a, a foot. When you give them a foot, they're going to take a yard, and then they're eventually going to take the whole fight. And we're, and I'm going to further discuss that um, that mindset, that strategy when it comes to Kobe Covington versus Tyron Woodley. But Chemayev, he's just going to, if he takes down Mishar, he's just going to ride the whole round. Even if he can't knock him out, even if he can't submit him, he's just going to beat the crap out of him. And then Mushar is going to come out second round, even more tired. And then plus, something that he, uh, um, Chemayev has that uh, guys like Habib doesn't, is he has a very powerful right hand. And he has height and reach. Height, not the reach, but he does have height. So that's going to be a danger for Mushar. 
And I think that uh, I definitely do think Gerald Mishar is a good underdog to pick. He he is um you know because I'm looking at it like this. He has the skills, but he doesn't have the mindset and attitude. However, this whole double booking thing, it's like the UFC disrespecting him, saying like, "Oh, Chamayev is going to beat you so bad. We might as well just um, sign his next fight." That's how I'm looking at it. And I think Mishar's going to come out with a fire lit up his butt. And I think at least the first four minutes, he's going to fight to beat Shemayev, to at least damage him, to hurt him. And that's what I think he needs. I do still favor Shemayev. I If Mishar comes with that attitude, I think he wins. He has all the skills and the attitude, right? Even if he gets taken down, he can still create an opportunity off of that with his submission game and his experience. But if he doesn't come that way, then it's going to be a blowout for Chamayev. And I think Chamayev's going to look like a beast if uh, Gerald doesn't come out there um, aggressive. I think he should fight emotional, this fight. Don't fight calm. Fight emotional. Mishar could go to three rounds. He could go for team minutes. He does not have a gas tank problem. He has the skills and efficiency to beat to win this fight, even if, say, the first four minutes don't go his way. He just has to remember to keep fighting. Mishra, we haven't seen a fight where he gets taken down and he's tired. He's always fighting. He's always there. So he's got to push into second gear when he needs to. So I think um, I'm going to be bold in this one. I'm going to say bet on Gerald Mishart. Plus 350 underdog. That's like, wow. Like Chemayev plus 450. That's like Ronda Rousey versus Holly Holmots. I just think he's more experienced, has more skills, and is more well-rounded. Ah, uh, so next up we have a this a Coleman event that is too hard not to get excited by. Um, Donald Cowboy Cerrone, UFC fan favorite from casuals to hardcore fans, everybody loves Cowboy. Always comes to fight versus another fellow fan favorite, maybe not as well known to the casuals, but definitely well known to the hardcores. Nico Price. So the things you got to know about the two of them. Nico Price trains out of Florida. Um, trains out of Florida. I know he bounces around a lot. He used to train at American Top Team. Now he trains at um, MMA Masters. He's a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <clears throat> Excuse me. He. Um, I know he comes from an athletic background where he played a lot of football in high school. And then he started off in kickboxing. And he's kind of been a little bit of a hit or miss when it comes to the, his UFC record. He came in by beating uh, Brandon Thatch via rear naked choke. Then he had a um, no contest. Then he won against Alan Joban via TKO. Lost to Vicente Luque via Dar's choke. Beat George Sullivan via rear naked choke. Randy Brown via KO off the bottom. So that's something I want to bring up now because we're going to go back to it. Um, you know, he has the only person to ever have, I believe he's one of the few people to ever have a knockout on the bottom, meaning he was, his back was touching the mat or the floor, and then he was able to knock the person on top of him. With Randy Brown, it was interesting, because it kind of made sense, he, he was kind of getting their, la- their legs entangled, and then he put Brown's, uh, chin was on his foot. And then, you know, you see sometimes, like, the Diaz brothers will do this. Tony Ferguson will do this. They'll start hitting off of the bottom. And usually, they don't knock people out. Like, I know Ferguson causes a lot of cuts. But 
you know, you don't see anybody go out and get, you know, concussed from that. But Brown ended up getting knocked out. I remember uh, Price it was hitting him in the chin. And basically, you got to think like this. Like, a knockout is when your brain spins and it hits your skull and then it kind of like shuts down for a little bit. So basically, he used his foot to stabilize Randy Brown's neck. And then his um, when Nico Price hit him on the chin, it spun. It, it created like a spin in um, Randy Brown's brain, his head. That's why um, they always say, like, keep your chin down. Because you think about it, right? Like, you take, um, let's say, like a, like a ruler and put it balanced on your finger, right? It's way easier to make the ruler spin if you... If you hit it at the edge, you hit it on one of the edges. You don't hit it right down the middle at the center of the ruler. So you got to think of that's how like knockouts become to be. And, uh, you know, Price was able to do that. He also, um, he lost by KO. He's won by KO against Tim Means. Lost via TKO against Jeff Neal where he was knocked out from the bottom. So Jeff Neal was on top of him laying ground and pound. Then he KO'd James Vick with an up kick. So basically... Vic was trying to pass the guard, um, you know, trying to throw Nico Price's legs to the side. And then Price, you know, he gets up on his shoulders from the ground and then kind of like just uh, hits um, James Vic with his heel and then knocks him out from the bottom. And in his latest fight that happened on May 9th, he lost via TKO, Dr. Stoppage against Vicente Luque. So Vicente and him fought twice. And then he lost some... Um, Basically, he was doing a lot better than he was in the first fight. The first fight, a lot of it was Nico Price getting his legs chopped, then getting pushed back, and then getting hit with a big left hook, trying to take Luke down to recover, and then Vicente locked up a submission. And um, this fight, basically, he was able to hurt. You know, he had his moments. You know, he, he was able to land a nice front kick on Luke's face, and then Luke was rocked. Um, you know, Price was trying to take him down, submit him, but Luke was able to recover. And then um, uh, Vicente basically kept landing his leg kick on Price. And then uh, Price was, while he was trying to gallop into range, right? Trying to get into range of Vicente Luque. Vicente started, um, every time Price entered in, he would hit him. Every time he entered out, he would hit him. Basically, uh, the, his leg kept giving out, so he wasn't, he couldn't be as explosive. You know, if you, if you feel your leg, your calf specifically, you know, of course your other parts of your leg, like your thighs, I mean your quad, um, is very important, but your calf is so big for springing off, springing back and forth, being explosive. That's why, like, you see guys, like, uh, like a lot of great sprinters, you'll see their calves, uh, when they're running, they're so, they're so flexed, they're so powerful, so toned, so, um... Uh, so Price he needs that, and Luke just kept chopping it down, and it let it allowed Price to be in range for counters and for when, uh, Price steps in. So I think that part is gonna be very big in this fight. I don't want to get too much into it before I explain Donald Cerrone. Cowboy is very complicated because he has a very very good MMA game very extreme one of the most well-rounded fighters in my opinion when it comes to finishing people and um you know he's been there for a long time in terms of MMA experience I understand he's coming off of four losses in a row so let's take a look at his record real quick so Cowboy has 10 wins by knockout he's lost seven times by knockout 
he has submitted 17 people via he's won via a submission 17 times and has won via decision nine times and has only lost via submission once and I know a lot of people are going to look, oh my god, 15 losses. Kind of like Gerald Mishard. Like Mishard would just say 13 losses. But if you fight so many times, you're going to lose eventually. MMA, you think about it, they have the small gloves. It's not a big freaking cushion, like a big boxing glove. So anyone can get knocked out. And then plus Cowboy, he's very well known for fighting extremely often. I know that, I believe in... Um, I want to say 2014, he has, like, the most fights. Like, he had, like, four fights in a year. He typically always fights four times a year. He's, like, uh, a lot of fighters, you'll be lucky if you see them twice a year. He fights, like, at the at the least two, three times a year. And it's hard to keep evolving, keep changing when people keep watching you fight, right? You're fighting so often. And um, there's a big part of his fighting style is being active. Right, he likes to come in calm, right? He, like a lot of people say, when you haven't fought in a while, it's kind of like, like let's say like you're a kid in school, right? And you've been sick for three months and then you come back uh, like uh, one day. You're very nervous, right? You're not used to this. It's very strange to you. And then of course, like everybody's been there every single day. And then, you know, um, it's kind of... And then, you know, everybody's been there every day. They're used to it. You know, this is... School's kind of like your job a little bit, right? Not like your job, like you get paid, but your job that you go in there every day. If somebody asks you, what are you? You're a student, right? Cowboy's a fighter. Everybody's... All these guys are fighters. And you don't show up to fight that often. It's kind of weird. So, Cowboy's very known for being very active. He has an extremely good Muay Thai game, which I think will play a big part in this fight. So, let's just talk about his record for a little bit. So let's go back to all the way back to 2016. Uh, because I want to talk about his welterweight fight. Since this fight is taking place at 170 pounds. He's beat it. He had four wins in a row. All finishes. Um, three of them being KO. One of them being submission. Over Alex Oliveira was the submission. And he knocked out Patrick Otea, Rick Story, and Matt Brown. Then he lost three in a row. TKO to Masvidal. Unanimous decision to Robbie Lawler. TKO from Darren Till in the first round. Then he knocked out Yancey Medeiros. Then he lost to Leon Edwards with a decision. Submitted Mike Perry. Knocked out Alexander Hernandez. Just put on a cl MMA clinic on Ally Quinta to win by decision. Then, so this was when his, last, his last win. May 2019. So it's almost over a year. It's basically over a year since he won. He had a competitive fight against Tony Ferguson, but then the doctor stopped him when his eyes started to swell. He lost via TKO to Gaethje, which I think that fight could play somewhat of a part to how Price could win. If you're, if, you know, of course I'm saying this if you watched that fight before. Then he lost to TKO to Conor McGregor via head kick, which in my opinion, that had a lot to do with uh, the crowd. I don't understand Cow I understand Cowboy and the press conference kept saying how, oh, he's going to show up for this fight, he's going to be ready. I knew, like, Cowboy, he had a lot, like, you could tell he was, not, I could tell, but, like, the fights where he lost, like, we had, so, like, Rafael Dos Anjos and things like that, that was on, like, Fox Fight Night, right? It was for the title, but it was on Fight Night. It wasn't this big event, Conor McGregor wasn't there, all this big, gigantic crowd was there, but yet he said that he felt very nervous before that fight. And, um, and I know Cowboy can saying, oh, I'm gonna be ready, I'm gonna be ready to fight Conor, I'm gonna be ready... But I go, this is the problem, though, with him saying all that stuff, is that, uh, like, 
he wasn't able to handle like the smaller crowd, right? The the smaller uh, environment. Now he's fighting a bigger name, a guy who's, in my opinion, was a bad match for him, right? Southpaw with decent takedown defense and good power in his hands, and then has who goes forward, right? Combine that with the nervousness. I thought, yeah, it's gonna end up being bad. And I think just it was just Cowboy not showing up that night. And a little bit of the matchup as well. You got to give credit to Conor McGregor. And, you know, McGregor, I have my opinions on him. I'm very strong about it. You know, he, in my opinion, he kind of looks at the opponent, picks and chooses, like, uh, you know, who he's going to fight. Like, right, he, he called out, like, Cowboy asked to fight him in 2016 when Cowboy was on this nice win streak. And then Conor didn't even think about it. They didn't even mention his name. And all of a sudden, Cowboy's on a two-fight losing streak. If you finish, oh, Conor, now I'll fight him, right? And I understand, like, McGregor's coming off a loss, but, like, when you're the former champion, as we'll see with, um, we've seen previously before with guys like Frankie Edgar, who took on a killer in Pedro Munoz, Chris Weidman taking an up-and-comer, you know, you always gotta fight the best of the best. And Conor, I question that. So that's why I kind of, like, don't think that much of the Conor fight. Plus, I say that Cowboy, the way to beat him is you gotta blow him out in the first round. Or early in the fight. Because if you let him survive beyond the first round, he's going to get his rhythm. He's a very tough guy. Like, for example, like a lot of fighters, you'll see them. like They'll start beating up the guy. They're winning. And all of a sudden, they think, oh, the guy's done. And then they get caught with like a massive shot and get knocked out. Cowboy's pretty hard to do that against. Once he gets his rhythm down, once like the first three minutes happen and he feels like he's getting success, it's pretty tough to beat him. He's kind of like... Just like a, a, a big meteorite getting more matter, so I'm stick onto him. And then as the end will be harder for you to to prevent. And then, you know, the unanimous decision lost to Anthony Pettis at UFC 249, the same exact date as Nico Price's last fight against Vicente Luque. Um, you know, Anthony Pettis, I thought both of them had good performances. I thought Cowboy won that fight, personally. I can see why the judges gave it to Pettis. I just thought Cowboy had more volume in the like the last two rounds. Even the first round, I thought he had more volume. It was probably because Anthony Pettis was landing some pretty good shots, you know, shot quality. But then I go, you know, in my opinion, and I'm going to talk about this probably again with the main event with Kobe Covington and Tyron Woodley. If you're going the game plan of, I'm not going to throw a lot. I'm just going to hit like one or two quality shots every like three minutes. You better hope that you're going to knock the guy out. Because you're just telling me, like, I'm just going to rely that this power so much. But unless, like, it's, like, the biggest shot on earth and then it creates, like, a tidal wave amongst, like, all the continents, then you're, you're telling me, like, I know they say significant strike, significant strike. How can you really tell what's a significant strike, right? You get some fighters who hit somebody and you can't tell that they're hurt and then the, the opponents are falling down. Or some fighters, like, they look like it was a big shot. Like, for example, like, Volkanovski versus Max, the first one. Like, I remember Volkanovski was, like, moving around, and then Max would, like, punch. And then Volkanovski still moving his head. And then the commentators think, oh, Volkanovski got hit there. Like, that's not a significant strike. That's not even, like, a strike, right? So, that's why I said, like, Pettis kind of took that approach. I think Price is not going to take that approach. I think... Price is going to be in his face, throwing lots of strikes, hoping that one of them's going to land a Cerrone. So now that I've broken down their records, now I'll break down the statistics. Cowboy Cerrone is 37 years old. He is 6'1". 
He has a 73-inch reach coming to this fight. He's um trains out of the BMF ranch, the bad mother ranch. And um he built that gym. He has a lot of great fighters. A lot of them are actually um, you know, a part of the UFC. Great coaches. He has some coaches I know he brought over from his uh when he used to train at the famous Jackson Winkle John gym. You know, he had that whole fallout with them. I don't want to get into too much of it because I feel like it's very irrelevant to this fight. But he has a lot of good gym uh, training partners. Like, he has Joe Schilling as his kickboxing coach and things like that. Um, he comes from a Muay Thai background. I remember Cowboy said in his early 20s he used to do a lot of Muay Thai fights. You can kind of tell by the way he stands and the way he picks up his feet while going forward. And even, like, the way he does combinations. But the one thing he does extremely unique in terms of MMA Muay Thai is that he's very good at throwing the hands combination. So the person's thinking, oh, he's going to punch me. And also when you block punches, like let's say the punch lands on your guard, lands on your hands, right, while you're blocking, technically there's more weight on your body. You're taking the weight of yourself and of the person punching you, right, they're, the weight that they're generating with their fists. So your base of gravity, your feet on the floor it's heavier, right? You're carrying more than you usually do, right? You're carrying the fists of somebody, the force they're putting into it, along with your own body. So Cerrone loves to end that with a low kick, right? Because if your leg is light on the floor, you're light on your feet, whatever, you could pick up your leg very easily. And um, that's something I think is going to play a lot into this fight. Also, Cerrone's a black belt in BJJ. Uh, he's very well known for his submission game. I mean, not very well known. He's considered one of the more underrated submission fighters. He has 17 wins via submission. And I think he has, like, a record for second most submissions off his back. So he likes to... Even if you take him down, he'll start throwing up... He One, he has very good takedown defense. Very, extremely underrated wrestling. When it comes to taking people down and stopping the takedown. And then, plus, he also has a very good Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guard. He's very good at sweeps. Meaning, he's on the bottom. He's able to get on top. And also submissions from the back and submissions on top. Um, and he's very good at not letting the person just lay on top of him to rest. So I think, I don't, personally, I don't think the submission game of Cerrone will play a part. I do think that at a certain point in the fight, he will try to take Price down. He likes to let everybody know, ever since Cerrone's fights in 2016, he'll always add in one takedown at least. And it's not just to, um, you know, of course he'll like to get you in the ground and you know, win that way. That's, I'm sure, one of his intentions in his fights. But also, he's very good at looking low, throwing the head kick up high. And he's knocked out a couple people with that. He'll like to punch low, punch low, hit high with a high kick. Things like that. He's very good at mixing up levels in terms of he'll hit to the face and then end with a kick to the, to the legs. He's stopped people via body kicks before um, with his left leg and right leg. And he has very good elbows from the clinch and out knees from the clinch, which I think are going to play a factor in this fight, the clinch specifically. Uh, Nico Price is 30 years old. He's a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He's six feet tall, so he is one inch shorter than Cowboy. But one thing I think that's going to play a big factor is the three-inch reach advantage he has. He has a 76-inch reach. And um, Price, let's look at his record. He has 10 wins via KO. He's lost three times via KO. And he's won by submission three. Uh, he's won by submission three times, and he's won. Uh, he's lost via submission once, and he's gone to decision once. So, Price is definitely a guy who um, he's uh, you know he he's very durable. 
However, he's never lost via decision, so that probably means that he kind of goes on his shield a little bit. Going on his shield means like he's like, when he's losing, he's not gonna be like, oh, I'm just gonna survive. I'm gonna either win big or I'm gonna lose big, which I think um, it'll be fascinating with Cowboy because you kind of have to put yourself in danger at some points in the fight. So, how do I see this fight going? I think um, Cowboy is better everywhere. I think he's a better kickboxer, Muay Thai striker, meaning I think he has better kicks, leg kicks, body kicks, head kicks. I do think that Price has longer has slightly longer punches just because he's the longer guy. Cowboy does have very good a very good jab, a very good right cross, and a very good left hook. That's one of his best punches, which I think could play a factor in this fight. And Price is very good at landing his right hand, being uh, long. Uh, sometimes, though, he could be caught in a brawl, and that's when he's extremely susceptible to getting hit. And sometimes I think he doesn't know, Price doesn't know when to pull back on attacking the opponent. Like, he doesn't know when to try to recover. Um, but I do think Price, he's going to come out the strategy and just going to come uh, hat out of, uh, bat out of hell. I don't know why that term means, but basically it means he's going to start off very aggressive, try to push Cowboy. And Price, you know, he's very good at throwing the right hand, but every other punch he kind of throws loops a little bit. And I could totally see Cerrone, you know, and Cowboy, I know that the past couple, like, if you look at a lot of his fights, like his first Pettis fight, the RDA fight, the, the first one, the second one at least, um, the McGregor fight, definitely. Um, if you could push him back, he feels uncomfortable. But he's done a great job at actually creating tactics to prevent those things. He'll, he has improved a lot of his um, movement, meaning going left and right. He's very he's done a lot better. He's created um intercepting knee, meaning like you come into punching range, he'll throw a knee, he'll grab you in the clinch, pretend he's going for a takedown, hit you with an elbow, things like that. So he's created a lot of tactics. I do think that the movement is going to be big for him in terms of moving side to side. And I do think the um, takedowns will be huge. He, he's very good at reactive takedowns. When the opponent comes in committing to a big punch or a big kick or whatever, big like some kind of big strike, and then you take them down because their weight is totally going forward, right? Think about it. Try to get up, stand up, try to punch as hard as you can, and see if you can automatically move backwards. That's why like a great striker is like McGregor, right? He's a guy who hits and then bang, he's back to the stance. He's very balanced and ready. That's one thing I always admire about Connor, and. Uh, you know, Price, he does sometimes get over, he does overcommit to his punch, and that could allow Cerrone to go for the takedown. And I do think that um, that could play a far, par, big part in the fight, and I do think Cowboy should try to use the clinch, use everything he can, try to avoid boxing with Price in the beginning of the fight, at least. Um, but for Cowboy, I do think he's confident going in this fight. They had the press conference uh, on Thursday. And he seems like, you know, he's coming off four lo three losses. Uh, yeah, three losses. In a, no, four losses in a row. This could be five losses. Cowboy's not even used to getting, like, three losses in a row. But I think for him, it may be freeing because he's thinking... Everybody's expecting him to lose. He's the underdog in this situation. I think he's a plus 135 underdog as I'm looking at this fight. And, um... Yeah, I, I do think that, uh... He's going to come in calm and loose. I do think if he loses, it doesn't have anything to do with, oh, he's, oh he, he looked nervous. Or I think if he loses, it's just going to be Price got him with a good shot. You know, was trained well, fought well, um, was just the better man that night. 
so I do think he's going to come in loose and relax. And I think he has to definitely avoid exchanging with Price in the beginning of the fight. And I think he's got to beat up the body and the legs of Price. And for Nico Price, I think he's just going to do what he usually does. Just um, be a little bit longer. I understand that most of his fights he loves to come in and commit to strikes. But if I was his coach, I'd tell him, measure, measure, measure until you get him against the cage. Then you can start letting loose a little bit. Because if you just start going wild automatically, Cowboy, even though his boxing isn't the best, he is extremely good at... Um, Nowadays, he's gotten a lot better at, um, he'll kind of roll with the punch, and then he'll, uh, land like a counter right hand. So, and, uh, and Price, he's shown that he's kind of, like, susceptible to those things. He, in his Vicente Luque fight, both of them, he, you know, he was trying to almost brawl with, uh, with, um, Luque. Trying to catch him in the trying to catch Luke in the middle of his strikes, but Luke did an excellent job at um, shot shot selection. Meaning he picked the correct punches to throw at the correct time at Price, and in the second fight against Luke, I really do think this could play a factor. Is Luke kept kicking that leg, and Price he's very lead leg heavy. You see the way he stands; he has a lot of weight on his left leg because his right heel is up, and. Um, also, a lot of his power is generated from his front leg. Like, you'll see his straight right, which, in my opinion, is his best punch. Uh, is kind of like, um, it kind of relies a lot on his weight on the left leg. And let me, let me check the odds. But before we get to the odds, I do think um, the smaller cage is going to play a factor in this fight. Uh, because Price, I would assume his game plan is to get Cowboy pushing back. And really, to me, it just comes down to can Cowboy get his kicking game off? Uh, if he could get his kicking game off, kick to the body, kick to the head, I do think he'll get, he will get the finish if that starts to happen. But Price, he has a lot of forward pressure. And this is the smaller octagon. And Price is a little bit more durable. He's a little bit more of a guy who's willing to bite down his mouthpiece and just, just chug it at you. Just try to, if he feels like he can't be it's technical anymore, he will just try to fight you. Which I, I think that's um, a great idea on his part. But in Cowboy, and I've never seen a fight where Cowboy is winning the fight. And then all of a sudden he, uh, you know, he gets caught with a big punch. So, I, if I had to bet, I know Cowboy is a plus uh, 125, which is okay odds. I mean, if you really want to bet on this fight, which I'm not so sure because... Price is as durable as they come. People are questioning Cowboy's durability. Cowboy's way more technical than Price. Price is not that technical, but has a lot of, has, a, you know, kind of like, um, uh, I don't know how you say it. He doesn't look powerful, but he is very powerful. But if you really want to bet on it, plus 125 Cowboy, I think a finish, round two or round three finish is reasonable enough for him. I like to see Cowboy get the win. You know, it's tough to say, like, that's why I hate betting on these guys that I like, but I, I just keep thinking that that's, like, Price's only way to win is to land the one big shot. And Cerrone has the leg kicks, he has the head kicks, the body kicks, and then plus he could catch Price with his punches. You know, Price has been rocked before uh, plenty of times in his fights. Even the fights he wins, he gets rocked. And uh, 
I know everybody's like, oh, Cowboys have power. But look at the Ferguson. Look at Cowboys-Ferguson fight. Look at Cowboys-Ally Quinta fight. You know, Ally Quinta, everybody talks about how tough he is. Cowboy was able to drop him. Uh, he was able to hurt Ferguson. He was, all these things. So, And then plus Price doesn't really move his head a ton. And Cowboy loves that. I think Cowboy loves it when opponents don't move their head. Right? Because after every exchange, he could just basically has to shoot straight and he lands. Which I think will play a big part. So that's my pick for this one. Uh, Donald Cerrone via KO round three, round two or three. I, I can't guarantee it. Don't come back to me if the the results are different. But that's, that's my gut feeling. So moving on to the main event. This is what I've been waiting for a very long time. Ever since Tyron Woodley was the champion. Ever since he fought Damian Maya back in uh, 2017. I've been waiting for this fight. Tyron Woodley versus Kobe Covington. Uh, what do you got to know about them? Kobe Covington is the number two ranked welterweight. He is 15-2. and two. He's won, He's lost once via submission. Once via knockout. Via TKO, excuse me. 32 years old, former interim champion. Going in deeper into that, uh, he trains at MMA Masters in Florida. He's a former American top team fighter. I understand that he got kicked out because of his persona of getting into fights with everyone, which I think could play a part in this fight, possibly. Um, he's a two-time Pac-10 champion in wrestling. He's a junior college All-American and a junior college champion. He's also a D1 All-American uh, Tyron Woodley, and then Kobe Covington is also coming off of a, um, a TKO loss to the champion, Kamar Usman. Which wasn't a bad loss, extremely competitive fight. Probably the most competitive fight you could see in like the last um, two years in terms of title fights. He put up a really good fight. Um, I know some people nitpick at like, oh, Kamar Usman pretended to get hit in the groin. And that was when Covington was starting to get momentum. I could see why like Kobe... The way he fights, especially against a guy as rangy as Kamaru Usman, basically means that um, Usman, uh, you know, I, I said it, he has to, Kobe has to get in, get in the inside of Usman's range and then just pepper him with shots and never stop. And basically he got his moment when he kicked him in the body like that. And then Usman was like, no, I have to stop, right? And then, uh, so I could see why, you know. And then Tyron Woodley, he's 19-5. and five. He's the number five ranked welterweight. He is the former welterweight UFC undisputed welterweight champion. He is 38 years old. He is also a D1 All-American. He was a former D1 All-American. Big 12 conference champion. Um, and he's won his fight seven KOs and five submissions. Uh, that's his finishing rate. And then Kobe Covington, uh, he's five submissions. Let me check actually. His record. I don't want to mess this up for you guys. I know you guys. Who's the oh, James got it wrong? He doesn't have that. Ugh. Let me see. Kobe Covington's record and Tyrone. So Covington has two wins via knockout, five wins via submission, and eight wins via decision. And then Tyrone Woodley. T Wood. Has um, seven wins via knockout, five by submission, seven by decision. So, what do you got to know about these two? 
So, Willie's coming off of... I told you, Kobe's coming off of a fifth-round TKO and loss. And then Tyron's coming off of two back-to-back decision losses. And what you got to know about Tyron is... I understand Tyron's last two losses were to Kamara Usman and to Gilbert Burns. And Tyron, uh, you know... A lot of people are going to say, oh, Tyron wasn't finished by Usman, but Kobe was. And I said, well, Kobe actually won rounds. Some people thought he was even winning the fight. If he survived the fifth round, some people thought he would have won. He would have been the champion right now. And Tyron Woodley, he was basically dominated from bell to bell. There was like no point in the fight. You know, he, he basically, when you get him tired, he kind of just fades in the fight very badly. You kind of see like this look in his eye or he'll look up in the clock. That's what he had in the Usman fight. Then the Burns fight, he kept saying how he's in a violent headspace. He's ready to hurt somebody, ready to get back to his title. Fights Burns, immediately gets rocked in the first 10 seconds and he kind of never got back into the fight. And he kind of has like, and people kind of like, um, I have my opinions on Tyron. I think he's a very good fighter. But the thing is, is like, everybody talks about like, oh, if he lets his hands go, he'll win. Oh, if he goes back to being the champion, he'll win. What fights was everybody else watching when he was champion? There was very low activity. He fought exactly the same as he does against Usman and Burns. Very low volume. A lot of him being back against the cage. Um, a lot of the fighters, the opponent faking shots, faking punches, him reacting, getting tired. And then, like, basically against Damian Maya and Steven Thompson, which I thought if the belt wasn't on the line, Tyron would have lost those two fi- three fights. Because basically what I hate about the UFC is, like, and, and boxing, too, is that they have this, like, quote, like, oh, to beat the champion, to be the champion, you got to beat the champion. You got to really take it to him and, you know, finish them and dominate them and all this stuff. If you win the rounds, then you win the fight. That's how it should be. That's how they stayed in the book. That's how they say it in Wikipedia. That's how they say it in the beginning of every UFC broadcast. And if you look at Damian Maia, look at Steven Thompson, those fights, Tyron was significantly outstruck by those two opponents. And basically, they gave him the title just because, oh, he's the champion. We can't just let the champion change just because of these fights, right? And I thought the Thompson fights, he definitely lost, I thought. And then the Maya fight, I thought he lost. You think about Maya, even though he's getting t- stopping every takedown, Maya's doing more. And then one, Willie was able to land like one punch, I think, um, to to rock to knock down Damian Maya. So I, I said like everybody's oh he's a different guy, he's a different guy. He, it, when he fought Usman, he changed, you know. Oh, because a lot of times when you see like a champion lose like that, to, like a dominant loss where they keep losing every round. Everybody thinks, oh, they, they lost something. There's something mentally that's not there. And Tyron believes in that. He truly does. He keeps saying that every fight that, uh, you know, these last couple of fights, like, oh, I want to go back to that violent headspace where I knock guys out. He's always like that. Even when he wasn't the champion, he was like that. I always tell people that he's the exact same fighter as he was in 2016, 17, 18, and 19. He's the same guy who fought Usman. The guy who fought Usman and Gilbert Burns is the same guy that fought Wonderboy and Damian Maya and Darren Till. That, that's the first thing I want to say about it. But Tyron, I go, the thing is about underestimating him is that he has the greatest equalizer ever, which is that huge, powerful right hand. A lot of people are like, oh, he knocks a lot of guys out, but he's a wrestler. The thing is, is like you look at Tyron, he has big shoulders, big thighs, very muscular guy. 
um, you know, extremely powerful athlete. But the thing is, is like muscle needs oxygen. And Woodley, wrestling is a very taxing part of the fight. Especially if you got a guy who's resisting you. A guy who's going to be pushing you down, making you uncomfortable, making you work. And Woodley has... Um, and I think maybe sometimes it's the right decision for him to make. He, he doesn't use his wrestling because of how taxing it is. Like, for example, when he fought Stephen Thompson, the first fight in Madison Square Garden. Um, Wonder Boy ended up getting taken down because he threw this lazy kick. Woodley caught it and then took him down and started ground and pounding Wonder Boy. And then the second round, Wonder Boy ended up getting back up. And then all of a sudden, you see Tyron Woodley. Watch that fight. You see in the second round, he has his hands on his hips. His legs are straight. He, he's kind of like, uh, doesn't have like a, he, like his face is kind of blank. That means he's getting tired. Like you see it every fight he's in. Even when he's like, uh, he, say he's not exactly losing the fight. He still has that face. So, and then everybody's like, oh, why don't you go back to the takedown in any of the fights against Wonderboy? Any of the rounds? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea why. And I go, it's because he got tired. After the first round, he was tired. Same thing with the second Wonderboy fight. He takes Wonderboy down. Everybody's like, why do you go back to the takedown the fifth round? And it was because he was tired. This is the thing, right? When Woodley lands a right hand on somebody, most likely the person is very damaged. Right? It's guaranteed he's hurt. If he takes him down and the guy gets back up or even the guy takes punches, it's not a guarantee that he did damage or that it's going to help him in the long run. So Woodley, I like to say, is like it's all or nothing basically for him. Everybody always talks about how powerful his leg kicks are. Like he's he has extremely powerful leg kicks, right? His thighs are freaking huge, and um, you see that in some of his fights, like against Josh Koscheck, against Stephen Thompson, he has very powerful leg kicks. But everybody's like, "What does he use? He has such powerful kicks." And I go, "Because can you end a fight by kicking someone in the leg once? No." Most likely not. It could happen, but most likely not. Could you end the fight with one punch with a nuclear bomb to the face? Yes. Highly likely for him for in terms of Tyron. So that's why he thinks it that way. That's why I, I'm curious to see this fight because he keeps saying, like, oh, I want to go back to being who I am and all this stuff. I go, Tyron, you're the same guy, man. You're the same fighter. It's just that now he's had... Two opponents that have caught up to what he does and who have the ability to make him work in every area. When Tyron Woodley was, say, fighting Stephen Thompson, right? Stephen Thompson's coming in with combination strikes. And then Woodley would go for the clinch or try to take him down and then they'll go in the clinch, right? And now somehow Woodley has been able to alleviate the pressure of Wonderboy coming in with those strikes. With Damian Maya. Damian Maya is pressuring him with takedowns, right? Taking him, trying to take him down. Will he work? That's the only time he's working is when he's stopping the takedown. Wrestling, right? Even though he's a wrestler, you still get tired, right? Wrestling is no joke for... It was definitely uh, kicks your butt a little bit uh, in terms of a workout. And Tyron, basically, he's getting his rest when he's standing in distance. When he's, um, you know, at distance from Maya, far away, not grappling. But when he fights, like, say, Kamaru Usman, right, or Gilbert Burns, guys who can strike a little bit, and but are mainly grapplers, like wrestler, like Usman's a wrestler, uh, Gilbert Burns is a jiu-jitsu guy, and I think Covington's wrestling will play a factor in this fight. Um, you know, Woodley, he'll clinch up, and the pressure doesn't stop. Those guys will just pressure, the pressure changes. It changed from striking, and now it's changed to wrestling or grappling. And... 
I think that's true. Like, if you look at MMA, think of it like a sandwich, right? What, what, what does a sandwich have? It has bread and then, like, the stuff inside, but basically it's like a meat or something. And then another piece of bread. And to be considered a sandwich, you have to have bread and meat, right? I guess unless you want to argue that an open-faced sandwich is not a sandwich, but it's whatever. Let's say it is a sandwich. Woodley is the meat, right? He has the wrestling. It's the thing that keeps things together in terms of MMA. And really, in turn, in like what I mean by he's like a pure wrestler, what I'm saying is if you look at the old UFC days, you don't have to, but I recommend it, of course. You watch the wrestler, they always had the big right hand and the explosive takedown. And Woodley embodies all of that. Steven Thompson, he's mainly just a striker. He embodies all that. Robbie Lawler, he mainly embodies a big knockout brawler. Damian Maya, he embodies the pure grappler. All those fighters were all specialists, all four of them. All of them had a realm that they dominated. But as you hear with Joe Rogan and Dominic Cruz, like, oh, wrestling's the number one martial art you should know from MMA, right? So basically, Tyron is able to separate the, the, for example, right? Like, he has the wrestling and the conditioning and the power to keep it on the feet with Damian Maya. And then he has the wrestling and the conditioning enough to take down Stephen Thompson and Robbie Lawler. With Usman and Burns, they have enough of the other two pieces of bread to create a full game. So basically, Tyron, his tactics are always to alleviate pressure. If you come forward and try to take him down, he tries to knock you out. If you try to come forward him and strikes, he'll try to take you down. And that's what I saw with the Lawler fight. Lawler, I know a lot of people are going to look at that Lawler fight and say, oh... Isn't that similar matchup to Kobe? Kobe's a lefty. Lawler's a lefty. All this other stuff. And um, the thing is, Lawler was so speculative of the takedown game. Like, you could see that every time Tyron faked the takedown, Lawler's hands kept dropping. And really, that's what led to the knockout. Thompson, he was trying to step in on combinations, but you could tell that he was um, cautious of getting, um, of excuse me, getting taken down. Maya was trying to take Woodley down, but he was cautious of the KO power, right? His striking isn't as good as, um, like, say, like, uh, the other two guys I named previously, Lawler and Wonderboy. But what if you got somebody who, if you, <clears throat> excuse me, could throw combinations, thread him Woodley on the feet, meaning, excuse me, my passion of uh, this fight made me thirsty. What if you got a guy who would throw combinations, thread and Tyron, basically hitting him, right? Throw combinations like an Usma, uh, like a Gilbert Burns. Usma doesn't really throw combinations, but he's able to thread him Woodley on the feet. <clears throat> and then, what if you got an entire usually on the feet? He's like trying to see if he could figure out where's the where can I knock the guy out? Where can I knock him out? Where can I hit him? And basically, if he can't find it, he'll just go, okay, I'm just gonna move on. I'm just gonna move, right? So he's kind of picking and choosing his spots a little too much for some people's liking, I know. And if he's fight. And if he feels like he's getting pressure strikes, he goes to the clinch. Well, what if you're a wrestler, a fellow wrestler like him? Oh, I welcome the clinch. The clinch is the most tiring part of MMA. I'm trying to get tired and tired. I'll let him do this to me. And that's what you got in Kamara Usman, basically. Well, Gilbert Burns is a little different. He, um, you know, Burns was able to rock Tyron in like the first 20 seconds of their fight with a counter right, which I think could play a part in this Covington fight. Uh, the way Burns was able to knock down Tyron Woodley. And then, um, basically, Tyron was never able to get back in the fight. 
Burns just kept pressuring him with wrestling, not uh, with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu submission game, wrestling, kicks, things like that. And I think Colby could kind of reenact the Burns strategy a little bit. So that's kind of like what everybody, if you don't know, you haven't watched Tyron's last couple fights, I basically caught you up to date. Uh, Colby Covington, the way he fights, tons of pressure going forward. Um, back in his, I would say before the RDA fight, I would argue that he's kind of, he was slightly reckless back then. You know, shifting stance, throwing kicks out of nowhere. Um, some of them would land, some of them wouldn't land. Uh, just throwing stuff just to push somebody back, right? And then when you get it up against the cage, you take it down. And sometimes, uh, unlike Kamar Usman, he will surprise you with a takedown on the open. So the opponent will think, I just got to stand my ground and not let him push him back. And then he'll take you down from the open. And then you're like, oh crap, he can take me down from anywhere, basically. So I think that will play a part in this fight as well. And then Covington, but then when he fought Lawler, he just looked like a totally different fighter. He had a very good, he has a very good jab. Uh, one thing I said that could get him in trouble against Tyron before, but now I think doesn't Tyron kind of doesn't have the opportunity, is Kobe when he threw his left hand, he would overcommit and then he would kind of like his he would bring his feet with him, which would bring him out of stance, which anytime you're not ready in your stance is a terrible time to get called for strike, or a takedown. But Kobe when he fought Robbie, I kept saying, man, he's gonna do it, he's gonna get knocked out. Like Robbie's basically made a career of doing that. And even and I know some people are going to be like, oh, the Robbie fight isn't as uh, good anymore. I go, Neil Magny, I know Robbie's lost a couple fights, but all the guys he lost to were very good. And I remember a lot of fighters picking Robbie to beat Kobe. So you can't go against them. And and Kobe never gave Robbie an opportunity to counter him. All his punches kept going in, out, in, out. Whenever he felt like Robbie was starting to get a beat on what Kobe was doing, Kobe would throw a kick to the body, a kick to the leg. And then when Robbie felt like, oh, now's the time to hit him with a big punch. Now's the time. Kobe would shoot in and he would use the momentum of Robbie's strike to take Robbie down. And let Robbie know, hey, you know, maybe I can't keep countering you, but I could counter you with wrestling. And I think that's going to be a big part of this fight. Um, one thing I do think could uh, maybe play a factor, but I don't see Woodley being able to do this consistently, is, you know, uh, Kobe Covington's very big on protecting his head, right? He keeps his head, hands up. Uh, in the Usman fight, he showed pretty good head movement in terms of making Usman uh, miss. And then uh, Tyron Woodley, he throws the right hand a lot. And Usman has a longer range than Woodley. And I personally thought that that was throwing Colby Covington off the range, the distance. And uh, I understand that Tyron has a two-inch reach advantage against Colby. He has a... um. Let me see. I believe he has a 74-inch reach and then Colby has a 72-inch reach. But the thing is, is like, is, is that I gotta keep, I gotta stop saying like, I sound like a freaking Valley girl. No offense to Valley girls out there, but I, I love, um, you know, everything from California. Tyron, he, he, Colby's 5'11", Tyron's 5'8". And usually if you're the shorter guy and you have a reach advantage, you're gonna have to punch up, right? And Tyron actually, if you look at the way he stands, he stands very low. Which makes him very susceptible to kicks to the body and to the leg. Because he can't move as fast. His weight's more on his leg. I think, uh, so, like, Usman kept throwing the straight right. Throwing kick, uh, front kick to the body of Covington. Throwing the right hand to the body at Covington. And Kobe, that's how, in my opinion, Usman was able to get the TKO. 
was that he was able to get Kobe to stand there long enough. After we watched the finishing uh, sequence, actually Covington hits Usman with a left hand, and he kind of stays there for a second, and Usman counters with a right, and. Uh, it's kind of similar to what I said about Price versus Cerrone, right? Price, if he gets his leg chopped up, he's not going to be explosive anymore to move back. And I think if Woodley, maybe he's... I think, personally, he's going to try to do that, at least. I think he's going to go into the game plan to do that. Because I watch Tyron Woodley's YouTube channel, The Champ Camp. And he does a lot of... Uh, they took a picture. I don't think they should have done this. But they took a picture of what they're working on. It says a lot of jabs and body shots. And I said, that's basically Kamaru Usman. That's how he fought against Kobe Covington. However, the problem is, he doesn't have a reach advantage. In order for him to do that, he has to have a good gas tank, right? I go, Kobe, even though he the body shots, I definitely think were a, a factor in his fight against Woodley. Um, you know, he didn't start, he, he was definitely hurt by them. But it wasn't like he got hit and then he went down automatically. So... Let's say, like, Woodley starts hitting him with shots to the body. How do you know that round goes out to round two? Covington maybe punched Woodley a little bit, wrestled a little bit. Now Tyron doesn't have the energy and the belief to keep going back to the to the punches to the body, to the, to the combinations, to the jab, right? That seems like whenever Woodley, a fight gets deeper and deeper, he'll start to not believe in his coach's game plan. Like... Like, Jack Slack, I love that guy. It'd be awesome to have him on the podcast, but, you know, he seems uh, very high above me right now. But, you know, with us, with the fans united, we're going to work our way up to meeting him. Slack says, take a sh- you should, everybody should take a shot every time Dean Thomas, Tyron Woods, coach keeps saying, I need combinations. Because he never throws them. There's never been a time where he ever threw combinations. And even if he does, like, I watch footage of him striking on the pads. When he throws in combination, he's not, like, turning his body. His his punches aren't that long. Like, he's so focused on speed of combinations. It's not really, like, the distance is that great. So, that's why I said, like, this... The young wrestler, grappler, like, the guy who's well-rounded could really give him trouble. Rory McDonald, who has a little bit of everything, gave him trouble. Kamar Usman gave him trouble. Neymar Carr. And I think Covington kind of fits that a little bit. Um... But, however, I think Tyron may be taking, could possibly be taking Kobe on the right time, right? Kobe's coming off a TKO loss. He's never been TKO'd before. Um, I know that it's been nine months since Covington has fought, so it's not a bad amount of time. It's actually a pretty good amount of time he's been gone. I think it's the right move, right? You, you've been knocked out. Uh, got t- technically knocked out. Also, Covington had to leave American Top Team since everybody was complaining how he was thrashing his teammates, you know. Kind of a part of his persona. And then uh, he left to go MMA Masters. And MMA Masters is definitely a very good gym. Like, they have a lot of great fighters who are actually... Some of them are fighting on this card. And, you know, they train guys like Ricardo Lamas, Miguel, Bezea, um, Nico Price. Uh, all these other fighters, right? This, um, they, they tra- and they have a very good... I know that um, the former American top team coaches, some of them... And but he said, how do you know that the chemistry won't mesh well with Covington? I know that Colby, ever since he started that feud with Jorge Masvidal and started wearing his MAGA hat and all that other stuff that he, um, he I know his coaches at American Top Team were changing by rotation because, you know, he's creating enemies with other teammates. So maybe he'll be used to having different coaches, right? He's a very, he's a guy who grew up with sports. 
So I'm sure he's used to having many different coaches, but you know, I'm I'm talking about in terms of when uh the going gets tough type of thing, right? Uh that's what I'm really curious about. How 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 does the coaches mesh well with that? But Tyron's not the type of guy to like give you a war. He's the type of guy to he's kinda like just um what's his he, he kinda like knocks you out or he gets dominated. One of the one of the two fights. So that that's one thing I said you gotta worry about Covington side is the TKO and then I, I know a lot of people kept saying he fractured he broke his jaw. He didn't actually break his jaw, he had a partial fracture in it. Which means like a lot of people think like, oh you break your jaw like your mouth is falling off. He actually had like a small a fracture in the middle of his jaw. So it's not as bad, but it's still bad, you know, especially against fighting a guy like Tyron. So that that's someone thing you gotta wonder with him. But for Covington, he's fighting Tyron coming off of two losses. I know Colby, they asked him what did he think about um what did he think about Woodley coming off two losses in the betting odds? And Kobe said he cannot he should not believe that Tyron is done because he says, you know, look at guys like Daniel Cormier fighting a forty one for the title and he still did very well, lost by decision, but he's still very good. Kobe said he's trying to take Ty- he's gonna take Tyron very seriously and that Tyron still has um he can still win any fight against anybody. And uh sometimes I think and I think he's right, right? Woodley's the guy not to take lightly. He's not like this fighter who has this intricate game plan and then one part of the game plan doesn't fit in and he can't fight anymore. It Woodley, he could not have any game plan and then he comes out and knocks you out and it doesn't matter, right? Um, the And then one big part is like the two of them... Which I don't think... I don't know if it's going to play a part in the fight. But they used to train together a lot. Like back in 2014, Tyron Woodley was preparing for Roy McDonald. And then Covington was brought in as a wrestler. And all this stuff. And, uh, you know, Woodley always says how he started the wrestling program, American Top Team. Basically, Woodley was brought in as a wrestling training partner for everyone to help them. And then Colby was like the second line, the first... In the first line after Tyron. So Tyron keeps saying, it wasn't for me. He wouldn't be there. It wasn't for me. And I think Tyron has this, that's a very bad attitude to have. Because then he's thinking like, oh, I, he owes me one. Oh, I'm, I'm so much better just because I showed up first. It's kind of like, like, has there ever been a time, like, I don't know. I never had a brother, but like, where the little brother didn't whoop the big brother. Like, this happened, I'm sure, in like any human history. So, and I think Tyron, like, um... If he comes in emotional, that may not be good. I know everybody keeps saying that, oh, he has to be fight angry. He's going to knock him out. How do you know he fights angry, ends up getting taken down? Like, the way he throws the right hand is very susceptible to getting taken down. And uh, how do you know that will backfire? And then if he tries to act patient, how do you know that will backfire? Like, either way, there's a way for him to lose. If he takes the patient route or he takes the not patient route, uh, the aggressive route, I, I guess. And they had a pass of being training partners. I know Tyron kept saying that he basically paid Colby $500 a week to get his uh, butt kicked by him. And then Covington kept saying how, you know, back then, like, oh, Tyron used to get very tired in training. Can you imagine a fight where I get to punch him? And they had a lot of bad blood. Woodley says he's still with American Top Team. I understand he owns a American Top Team franchise in St. Louis, Missouri. That doesn't have the coaches from America Top Team. It's just the name has it. But he mainly trains with Rufus Sport, Duke Rufus, Anthony Pettis' coach. And 
Kobe. So him and Kobe haven't trained together in a long time. I understand that Covington left recently ATT, like in January of this year. But they haven't trained together ever since, like, I want to say, like, 2015, 2016. They haven't seen each other. So you got to imagine Covington. And DC said it best. He goes, Kobe's a totally different guy, most likely. I know they brought in Jorge Masvidal to fight Woodley. And not to fight with the spar, train Woodley. And that could definitely help him. And Jorge, I believe, is the type of fighter who, if he just steps in the training room and you train with him, he elevates everyone. He makes everyone better, which could be a benefit to Tyron. And I think Jorge, you know, he's a great analysis. He's great at watching people, uh, looking for weaknesses. But it's different, I think, when you got a guy who's possibly going to take you down. You have the threat of the takedown and the volume and the stand-up. So... I um, I think it'll help him a little bit at least. I think it'll at least get Tyron to be in better shape. And uh, so what I break down so far, the mindset, the backstory between the two, Covington in 2017 when he became a top 15 for uh, UFC welterweight, sorry, calling out Tyron Woodley to fight him. At that time, I thought Woodley would probably win, but he was playing up a very good angle. He was saying how, oh, Woodley, uh, you know, he's... um. You know, he's a boring fighter. I want to beat him for the fans. That's what I want to do. And I said, that's not a bad angle. Because a lot of people actually started not liking Tyron at the time. And uh, and then, you know, 2017, he started taking his Trump, his uh, Make America Great Again angle. Which I said is not a bad idea either because it's a lot of people know who Donald Trump is. Donald Trump is probably one of the most searched people on Google. So I go, Kobe's automatically attaching himself to that. And, uh, you know, it's very controversial in many reasons, right? Especially in sports. But I said people are going to be talking about him. And it, it's funny to see, right? Like, Woodley was always the guy who, who talked about how he wants to be like Muhammad Ali and break race, right? Break those the stereotypes of race and become kind of like that new next-level athlete. And he never... he He's still trying to. And I think he is that, to be honest. If you're a fan of MMA... But the UFC, I remember they kept saying, like, they don't want to focus on that. Because you're just putting on boring fights. You're putting on fights people don't want to watch. It is funny to see how the two of them have changed their image and things like that. Uh, I know Covington, he has multiple photos with the Trump family. One of the best parts is when he fought Lawler. It's, like, hilarious. Like, you would never think this. He, like, a presidential family showing up for an MMA fight. He, like, jumps in the octagon, and then you see him point to people, and it's the Trump fan, Trump, like, Donald Trump Jr., so it's pretty funny. It's, like, a whole marketing thing for him. I, I don't really think he's like that. What, what I hear about him, when people meet him, is that he's a very nice guy. He'll take pictures of you, you ask him for advice, he'll, he'll be honest with you, things like that. And there's even footage of him saying how, why he created Image. Like, like he was saying how, oh, it's because it doesn't sell, like, no one wants to watch. And I truly believe that. Like, he was saying that when he was, uh, he was coming up, he, he, of course, he, beat, he was beating a lot of guys. Beating guys similar to how B beats them. Taking them down, getting them frustrated, and just beating the crap out of them on the ground. And he was saying how he didn't get a marquee fight. And a lot of people kept going on and on about, oh, if he was that good, he wouldn't need to talk, right? He would have beaten Robbie Lawler anyways. He would have beaten Damian Maia. He would have had a great fight against Kamaru Usman anyways. 
The thing is, is that I truly believe that he didn't take that model. And I'm not saying it's the correct thing to do to act like that. But if he didn't take that model, then I don't think he would have gotten any of those fights against any of those guys. I think he would have probably still be like a... He would be a top 15 fighter, but I don't think he would have been... He would have fought for the title by now. He wouldn't be the interim champion by now. He wouldn't be fighting Tyron right now. Uh, another thing I want to talk about is the... So I talked about how Covington, I believe his reactive takedowns could play a big part against Woodley. Like like I said against Robbie, Robbie you could feel very similar to Woodley was waiting to find a big shot against Covington. And every time he tried to throw the big shot, Colby ducked under and took him down. And Woodley we've seen with Burns, we've seen that with Usman, that it could become an opportunity to wrestle him a little bit. And I think that would be the one of the ways. And also, if you wrestle him a little bit and Tyron's being threatened. Oh, he's going to grapple me every time I throw the right hand. Tyron may stop throwing the right hand then. Right? So, I, I think that's like one thing I would want if I was opposite of fighting. Uh, if I was in the corner against Tyron Willie, As I would try to get my fighter to get him to stop throwing the right. Another thing is um, the arsenal. Woodley basically is his right hand. His once in a while, he'll throw his jab in his right low kick, which he throws once in a while. I think, uh, and then Kobe will throw like front kicks, front kick to the face, front kick to the body, um, body kicks to the body, you know, obviously to the body, leg kicks, Superman punch, spinning back fist, tornado kicks. And he'll couple the takedown with the high kick. That's something people don't see a lot in MMA. He'll throw the high kick like um, he'll throw the high kick like twice very quickly. He'll duck, make you think he's throwing. He's gonna go for a takedown. Throw the high kick again. If it lands, it lands. And if it doesn't, he'll duck. The person will know. Oh, he's gonna try to throw a kick after he ducks, and then he'll just take you down. Right, your defense for the takedowns off at that point. I think that could play a big part. Big part. If I was his corner, I would tell him throw the left kick a lot and try to deaden Tyron Woodley's arm. Try to get him to block the kick. And if he doesn't block it, he's going to take it on the gut. So it's going to make him more tired. Uh, Woodley, I think for him, if I was being realistic with him. Like, I don't tell him throw combinations. Clearly, he doesn't want to throw combinations. And I try to avoid him being on the back. But I understand that's what he likes to do. That's just something he naturally does. That's one thing I think coaches got to understand, right? When they keep yelling at him to throw combinations, he doesn't ever throw combinations. Ever. So I would kind of stop that. I would kind of try to go with something more realistic for him. Right? I would tell him fake with the hands and your feet. Try to get Covington to move his head. And then throw his punch where the head ends up. That's what like guys like Darren Till does a lot. And Israel Adesanya do a lot. And even Conor McGregor. I think if Willie does that, that would be great. However, even when you fake, that can end up being getting you tired. And the more he fakes, it's the less time he has to... The way Woodley looks at the fight is every time I'm not trying to knock out the guy, the longer the fight goes. But if I was his coach, I'd just try to get him the opportunity to land the punch. Right? I think uh, Covington, if you could get him uh, showing what he's going to do, his reactions to the what uh, Tyron's doing, then I think Tyron can land that right. That's To me, that's the most realistic um, way he could win this fight. And, uh, for, but however, you know, uh, with these new well-rounded fighters, if he does that, they could just bring it to the clinch, take him down, 
do kicks, things like that. Um, but that's what I would tell Woodley. That's kind of like the only thing I could tell him, really. Because if I tell him throw the shots to the body, then we're going to have to throw shots to the body for like the next five minutes. And he has shown that he doesn't throw a lot of volume. Right? Throwing kicks, same thing. Takedown, same thing. I would just, I would understand that he's just trying to make the fight as short as possible. One thing to note is that in Tyrone Woodley's last five fights, he's attempted 300 and, uh, what's this called? I can't understand my own handwriting now. That's, that's very professional of me. He attempted 472 strikes in his last five fights. Colby Covington, his one fight with Robbie Lawler. Attempted 541. So that means his volume totally eclipses Tyron. That's why I said I, I wouldn't tell Tyron to like throw combinations and stuff like that. I understand from his point of view. Like I've been tired before, of course, athletically, if you know me. I'm sure everybody's been tired at one point athletically. And when you're in a fight with somebody, you don't want to experiment with how you're going to win. right? You're trying to win the safest way. So... I think his uh, my game plan of faking could work. Uh, I think he has to be a really good fainter. Willie has never shown that he fakes a lot, really. It had to be something that he built into the camp. And uh, what else? Willie has five takedowns in his whole UFC career. Colby Covington has fifty-seven. So uh, even so, I understand like a lot of people are saying, "Well, why doesn't Tyron take him down?" Like the wrestler is not comfortable going on his back. Right, which Kobe is. However, I would imagine when Tyron tries to take him down, he's gonna resist. And those five takedowns Tyron have were against guys who weren't wrestlers. Uh guys like Carlos Condit, uh Rory McDonald, you know, guys you could possibly take down. And I would imagine Kobe every time Tyron tries to take him down, he's gonna resist. He's gonna put him in the clinch and he's gonna try to beat him up as much as he can. So I think Woodley uh you know, for him, for you to tell him to keep taking him down would be an obscene idea physically. It would be physically taxing for him, especially against a fellow wrestler, a fellow grinder, a guy who's willing to put a pace on him. Uh, X-Factor going to this fight, of course, is the Covington's um, loss, Tyron Woodley's losses, and then Kobe training at a new gym. One thing I'm wondering is his camp, and I don't know if this will help or hurt Kobe. I think it'll probably help him. But they said that he he's actually a righty and he stands his right foot forward, which is very unusual. And they said they figured out how to make him more comfortable in his stance to get knockouts. And one thing to note is that Tyron Woodley, if you watch every fight he's in against Lawler, McDonald, uh, Stephen Thompson, Gilbert Burns, especially, and Kamara Usman. You'll see every time he throws his right, you could throw a right hook at the same time and he'll get caught every time. Because he always drops his left. Uh, like he's trying to load up almost the punch. So I think that could play a factor in this fight, right? Covington is a southpaw. He could slip his head and then throw the right hook. I understand that Woodley is a, is a, um, is very good at countering the southpaw. But those are usually guys who are very left-hand dominant. Covington is actually more right-hand dominant. Even when he fights. Like, I know they said oh, he, he writes with his right hand. But even when he fights, you can kind of tell that he writes with his right-hand his right hand dominant. He's right-hand dominant. Uh, in terms of pick, uh, I feel like Tyron Woodley's going to come out like a bat out of hell. I think he's going to come out of, of something to prove. 
at least for the first round. And I think it'll be up to Colby Covington to adapt to that. Um, that's why I said this is a risky fight for Colby. I know everybody keeps saying this is an easy fight for him. This is a risky fight for Tyron. This is a risky fight for Covington. Because Tyron Woodley, how could you not make adjustments for this fight? He's literally lost twice in a row. Lost 10 rounds. That means he hasn't won one round ever since his title reign against uh, you know guys like Darren Till and Steven Thompson. And I said for Kobe, he even said himself, he goes, I'm going to be the guy who has to make adjustments. I have to possibly make adjustments if he makes adjustments. And that's going to be difficult. However, I think that Covington has the more well-rounded game. I think even though a lot of people say Tyron's a better boxer, I go, yeah, in terms of knockout power. But I think Kobe throws combinations. He's really good at fighting behind the jab. Uh, really good fighting behind kicks. I think he's just more well-rounded in that way, and he's willing to wrestle. He has many different types of takedowns. He can do in the clinch or from space. And uh, but you know, don't. It's a risky fight, I think, for Colby. Right, he's fighting a guy come with two losses, and I think he has to be careful in this fight and very cautious. But I do think there's ways to for him to work his way into this fight. If he's losing the first round or he wins the first round, I think there's multiple ways for him to get it done. I usually always go with the more well-rounded guy. Um, I think if Tyron was at his best and Kobe was at his best, I think I, w- I would favor Kobe even still, even back in 2017. So my pick, I think, uh, in terms of pick and betting on, I think uh, I- I'm looking at the betting odds, and I know Covington's like a big favorite. He's like a minus 300 at least. But I'm looking at it, and I look at this round four or five finish, plus one eight hundred, and then plus two thousand two hundred. I I think I think he could finish him. I think uh, when Ty- he sees Tyron's tired, he's just gonna pour it on really badly. I think it's, he's gonna try to be as violent as possible. I think he's gonna bring out the knees and the elbows and the ground and pound. Uh, you know, I, I uh, you know, Willie's very good, and I think he could catch anyone. And I said, uh, as someone who um, is intrigued by the welterweight division, I think Covington's got to be very careful. There's a, there's a lot of things that could go wrong in this fight for him. He's got to be extremely careful, but I think he has many ways to get back in this fight, even if he gets caught, even if he loses the first round. I think there's many ways to get it done for him. And I think that even one round of him going forward is going to be very hard for Tyron to recover from. And I think it's just going to pile up. And uh, I think round four or five uh, Covington finish, late finish, I think could happen. I think very well could happen. So thank you guys for listening. I understand this was a longer episode. It's just because I love this stuff. Uh, Hope to see you guys again. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you were listening to, please subscribe to Fans Assemble. And if you can, please give us a rating. Do it for the audio world. They need you.